from the saddle. Produced by Caitlin Hewitt and Joseph Maloney. Owned and operated by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. All rights reserved. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. From the saddle. I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure. I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> From the Saddle. A small town country kid with big ideas and no limits. Featured on the ABC production Outback Ringers, Locke McClymont doesn't do things by halves and enjoys chasing the next challenge. Growing up in a small community outside of Gundawindi, he's had a lot to learn along the way. Always drawn to animals, Locke is now a contract musterer based in Northern Australia, where he and his team have completed some of the most challenging and unique contract mustering jobs to date. Afternoon, Locke. Good afternoon, Caitlin. How are you? I'm well, thanks, mate. Good to talk to you and good to have you on here. Yeah, thanks for having us. That's all right, Locke. Um, obviously, being featured in in Outback Ringers, we we've got a bit of a glimpse of of the life of Locke McClyman and that he lives. I'd love to to hear your story and and get a glimpse on on some of the highs that you've seen throughout your career. Yeah, no worries, Caitlin. Yeah, I'd be happy to share a few few mushroom jobs we've done. Obviously, mate, the the television's a bit more scripted than, you know, what it actually is in real life. So I guess, look, um, Oriners in Cape York, share with us about that. Yeah, no worries, Caitlin. So um, Oriners was a was a job we did in – we first went in there in 2016. I flew it the year before in 2015, really late in the season, that actually – we tried to get in there and, and get permission to have a have a survey flight earlier than the storms had, had come in so I could sort of fly the water courses and the creek systems and get a bit more of an idea and grasp on how many numbers there. But yeah, we co- couldn't get permission until quite late, probably late October. We were still catching at Kaunyama. There was some showers around and storms and early storms and that. And we, and I still ended up going over there for a fly with Lee Taylor and we, um, we had a good look about and there were some good numbers of cattle there, but I, I got onto that job because we were contracting at Kaunyama at the time. We'd had a big year at Kaunyama, and um, some of the locals that I employed were connected. The, the Shire Council actually owned 700,000 acres over the Alice River, so probably about 40 or 50k from the Kaunyama boundary was was this separate block, and um, and they were, they were treating it as a bit of a national park and. It was under under carbon scheme. They were burning um, for savannah forest carbon credits, so early burning, and um, they wanted to cull the cattle. The the yarn was that they were going to shoot the cattle out of there, and um, it hadn't been mustered as far as I knew back then for about twenty years, properly anyway. So I went for a survey flight and and saw some good numbers. They were all proper pure red shorthorn Cape York specials. And um, little Krellerite legends. Anyway, I ended up cutting a deal with the with the traditional owners and the council for the following year. And we went at, we went in there on the first of September. Yeah, we left Kanyama, We crossed the Mitchell River and we crossed the Alice River, and um, we ran a portable yard just on the other side on Collada Waterhole, just off the Alice River. September 2017. 16, 2016. 2016. Yep. Um, 
So we had had a few of my normal contractor boys with me and um, and, a, and a mob of locals from Kanyama and, and traditional owners and that. When you say, you know, you, you had a few of your contract boys with you, obviously experienced? Yeah, I just, I, what I mean by that is I had a few of my normal staff members um, come along and then um, they supplied, or it was it was actually a prerequisite for, um, for getting that job was to to take some of the traditional owners' kids along and um, school them up on, on a bit of stockmanship and and that sort of thing, um, get them out of town and iron them out a bit. But they, they were all good. They were really good boys, good to have about. So we, we ran a portable yard and we got 132 in um, a few hours, which was good. And um, we spent the next three days tailing them out. We actually built a big arena out of panels i had about 150 panels and we built a massive arena and um right next to a water hole so i could pump water into the into the yard for them to drink and um and a bit of hay and we actually um yeah we we rung them around in that arena and we we just handled them like a mob of wieners and we just got them blocked up took buggies and and quad bikes in there no two wheelers just the heavy machinery sort of stuff and um yeah they're they're a bit toey to start with but we we just got a block on them like a mob of wieners. We just, I just wanted a block on them. If, if we could get a block on them, turn their nose back in the mob, we, um, we were right. And then on the afternoon, I think, of the third day, um, we ran a hessian wing into the waterhole behind us and um, helicopter turned up and um, we said, oh, well, this is it. And, um, yeah, well, it cracked the, cracked the panels and... We um we just ran them straight into the waterhole, and I thought if they I didn't feed them the night before, so they'd they'd want to put their heads down. But um, the beauty of putting them straight in the water was we could surround that waterhole, and um and they couldn't get a gallop up through the water. They actually, and they loved eating lilies. Those cattle, they just they the bulls especially they they put their horn down and they'd put their head fully underwater like a like a hippo. And they'd rip the lilies up, and they'd um, they'd stir all the water up. But they love eating the roots off of, off the lilies. So we we just galloped them into the water, and whenever they wanted to come out, we just turned them back into the waterhole, and they um they ended up settling down and and having a bit of a feed and, and a proper drink and cooled down and everything. And then we got the helicopter to bring them out to us. So this was just to purely calm them down. Yeah, this was our culture mob. This is yeah. this is the yeah. Um, we needed some cattle to. To um to start off with to start with a coacher mob so um this was the 132 and a couple of bulls bucked out and we, we just strapped them up and and um walked the mob over to them once we um I got that machine Mikko Porter was there and he just brought them out to us out in the flat and um we we got them blocked up and feeding out and I thought right oh this is it and we had 150k to go it would have been further if you ever if you followed the mob. Probably closer to 200k, but the actual road, like where I met, was about 150k along the Alice River of just just bush country. No, yeah, there was a little bit of an old track, but um, yeah, we towed we towed the panel trailer with it with a grader, and um, we had to grade all the crossings, make crossings up, and got it stuck a fair few times. And we set a yard up every night, and and the next day we actually we hit the trail, and I thought we'd average. 10k a day and it was yeah i was way out of budget there we we probably did about four 4k a day i reckon um yeah it ended up taking about six or seven weeks 
Like, I, I wish I had done that earlier in my career because it was the most educational job I've done. It was a shame to have done it so late in my career. But to do with cattle, um, you know, I'd, I'd handled sort of three quarters of a million cattle by then. And um, I, I learnt the most out of this job here on its own. It's just about watering and feeding cattle and their frame of mind and their psychology and, and, and ringing. So what was different, Rob? Um, so so just like the term ringing, that's where it sort of came from. You know, someone says, oh, yeah, I've been up up north for the year ringing. And um, you go, oh, yeah, where were you? I was on the Barclay. Oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But ringing... Ringing actually came from this term where you ring the cattle around, and this is where you did it ten times a day for for two months and um, proper ringing. And it means you got to hide hide everyone behind the coaches. And we used to get a couple of bikes. We'd pull up on a flat. We'd, we'd always block up on a good flat, a good playground, somewhere we could where we could ring these cattle around and get a bit of a handle on them. There's no good us pulling up in the middle of a creek or in the patch of a big patch of wattle or tea tree or something where we couldn't get around them. And so we'd, we'd pull up on a big flat and um, the helicopter pilot would, he'd, he'd never sort he never ran in more than sort of 20 or 30 head at one time. He, he could have more coming, but that was probably our number to start with anyway and until everyone got in sync. But he'd bring them all in in one hit and we'd have those coaches pretty bunched up nice and tight and the, the face of the mob there'd be no one there we'd, we'd all be hiding behind the mob and then we'd have two bikes just just drilling those cattle in with that helicopter like really really getting them going <clears throat> making it uncomfortable for them out there we'd make them more more comfortable in in with the cattle that we had and then when when once they'd come into the mob you, you could tell which ones they were they'd, they'd be ones with the heads up the highest and they'd go straight in the middle of the mob and um, quite often the bulls would just come straight out the other side, and we'd um, and that's we'd, we'd start ringing them. We'd we'd twist the mob either clockwise or anti-clockwise, sort of depending on exactly where they came in. And we'd just do circles with them. We just did circle work, and quite often those bulls would buck out, and um, I'd just arm them, or, or one of the boys would put it, put them on a strap, not far away, and and um, I'd just go if they'd been on a the strap there so for half an hour or an hour once the coaches had settled down and we'd got a pretty good handle on them um nearly every every bull pretty well bucked out and um and if they didn't we'd cut them out just purely for the fact that i could arm them tip their horns and um put a nils tag so they'd, they'd be tipped nils um the only thing we had to do was brand them basically when we got to the end but it meant that i had no horn holes by the end there was no scratches on um on any of the cows or wieners or mickeys when we got to the other end after two months. And, um, yeah, that was a good part. The interesting part was was watering these cattle. So it was all swamps and billabongs, all, all fresh water. And um, every afternoon, every morning, we'd have to water, water and, and feed these cattle. So I'd have to, because a lot of it was burnt for carbon, we'd have to always try and find a good patch of feed near, near water. And um, if the water hole was sort of, the size of the football field or smaller, it was no good to us. And that's because when we got towards the other end, we had 1,187 head. The, there'd be sort of three or 400 bulls in the mob. And that most of them, a lot of them anyway, was at least a couple of hundred bulls up in the lead. And um, when we'd hit a water hole, and it, we're talking sort of late September, so it's getting hot in the forest in the Cape York. And when, when we'd hit a water hole, these bulls would, would just charge into the water and rip all the lilies up. They'd just 
get up, get in there like hippos and get their horns and they just start rooting them all up and they they get they want to eat eat the lily roots but they'd actually what they're doing was they'd muddy all that water up they'd just stir it up that bad that the cows weren't getting a drink so I had to find big big water holes I had to, I had to stretch the cattle out a bit and and find um, either a chain of water holes or or just keep moving. Onto um onto onto more because the yeah the bulls are actually perishing those cows. Would you believe it? But it was um yeah just things like that was so interesting that um that I hadn't hadn't really come across in in my career. So what do you think it was there, Locke? Why would you have not seen that beforehand? Um, just because most of the places we'd mustered before that had all been controlled cattle, had all been um paddocked and um and company stuff. So yeah. It was all controlled waters. It was bores and troughs and um, the odd the odd dam or burrow pit. But herd bulls don't really, you know, lilies don't really grow in dams or, or burrow pits to start with. But those, yeah, those those cattle there just they survived on lilies. They just loved them. Whether it was that time of the year that they were just flowering or the right right time for them, or and being untouched for so long. Yeah, and just and for sure on bulls they are actually quite big. Um, you look at the evolution of cattle. Say if you just left cattle, you just put a more cattle out in an area and you just left them for, say, 100 years and then you come back to them. The cows actually get smaller um, because it's the ones that cycle first that um, that get the calves earlier so that the smaller they are and the, and the cows actually get smaller and the bulls get bigger. So the, the biggest bull gets the most females and um, or the most dominant ones, which is most likely the, the biggest fellows. So, yeah, just the actual evolution. So the bulls are actually pretty good. For um for Cape York specials, um we had yeah some great memories from that stuff. Like there, there was a bull, we were crossing a sand ridge one day, and, and the boys in the lead called up on the tour and said, "Oh, hey, Lock, we got um there's a big bull here under a pandanus palm." And I, I drove around. I was in a buggy. I just drove around the side. And I said, "Oh yeah," he, and he's just sitting there chewing his cud, and he he, he was just watching us coming towards him. They said, "Oh, do you want us to slip around him and tuck him in?" I said, "No, no, just just leave him. We'll walk past him and just see what happens." Yeah, don't don't anyone chase him. Like if he runs away, we can go and grab him. But anyway, as we were walking past, he he just opened his eyes up. He stopped chewing his cud and he just saw all these females. There's five or six hundred cows there, and he thought, "Oh, I'm getting in on this." And he just um he just hopped up and just trotted over and started bellowing, just trotted over and just ran straight into the mob and never came out once. And he, <laughs> and um he he was just like that was just so fascinating, you know that, that it, the um he he got around it and and that wasn't him but another bull he'd been with us right from the start and he was on the tail every day and his mate that came into the yard with him at the start at that Clyde waterhole he was up in the lead. And they, they didn't want anything to do with each other. And that bull in the lead, he never came back to the tail, and that bull in the tail never went to the lead. And you could put your hand on his rump on a two-wheeler, and you could just ride side saddle on that on that 230. I couldn't get to his to his neck, but I could get just behind his hump and put my elbow on him and just lean on him for probably 10 or 15 minutes, just sit there on the tail and just, just balance. And you know, It was pretty cool to do that with a big short-horn bull, straight yeah. out of cake, you know. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. That is cool. Going back to, you know, you're talking about the term ringing. I watched Temple Grandin's uh, video recently and in that she said that cattle will walk in circles to calm themselves down. Yeah, okay. 
it was something I didn't know. And and my husband, he's a third generation grazier. And I looked at him and I said, did you know that? And he said, no, not really. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Like if you, you get up into that cape or, or say a, a big national park or a big traditionally owned block where there's um, there's no fences or the cattle are uncontrolled anyway, um, you'll never find a straight cattle pad. Mm. If someone says, oh, follow that cattle pad, it goes straight to water. Well, no, bullshit, it does not. You have a look at it from the air and it curves. It, it'll do a big loop or, or it'll um, eventually, it'll never go straight unless you're right on the water hole. But you know what I mean? It's, it's definitely something in it. Yeah, very cool. So what then, Locke? So by the end of it, we had 1,187 head where we got to the Colada Musgrave Road, which is actually a pretty good, um, well-maintained road in the dry season. Um, so we could get trucks in and out of there. So once we hit the other side, we had a pretty good mob and we we built a big set of yards and, and on Mosquito Waterhole. And um, we, yeah, we, we drafted everything up. We, for the last probably week or so, we'd, these cattle had been, yard, remember these cattle had been let out of a yard and yarded every night, so, and then let out every morning. So they were used to being yarded and panels they were, they were fine with. They never rushed, which was good because, but we had fresh cattle every night that had, had not been yarded before. We, every day we'd have, you know, a minimum of 20 or 30 fresh cattle. So those bulls would, um, would just walk the yard all night and they'd keep the others awake pretty well. And mm. um, so that was that, that stopped them rushing. And then um, the next morning when we'd let them out, everything was really tired. The cows and weaners were just, like, oh, you know, they hadn't had, had hardly had any sleep. So they actually slept during the day quite often. So we'd pull them up, we'd give them a big feed on a water hole and then we'd charge some k's into them. We'd try and get two or three k's up the trail and then we'd pull them up and they'd feed. And, and a lot of them would camp during the middle of the day. They were, they were pretty good. But um, I had to, any cycling heifers, so anything that was cycling I had to cut out. Um, I actually had to shoot a few. What's your reason there, look? The, the bull, it sent the bulls mad. Um, there'd be... You know, you see a cycling heifer in your nice grey Brahmins and um, and there's a couple of bulls having a bit of a dig at her. Well, I would have sometimes there's 20 bulls, 30 bulls, like clean skin bulls just going at it and they were stirring everyone up. And the actual, it was interesting, like the psychology of those bulls going at it and chasing that heifer through, all through the mob, you know, she, she's just ducking and weaving and darting and she's, hiding behind trees and laying down and they they were hooking her to get her back up and um, everyone was unsettled by it. So, yeah, it, it affected everything. So I was actually cutting them out and, and leaving them behind. But we had, um, yeah, I think there was six or seven branded cattle when we got to Mosquito Waterhole, sort of 150K down the trail. And um, out of that, I think four or five of them were Rotham Park, little grey, beautiful grey, Brahmin heifers um, that they'd had an adjustment at Clara the year before, and then one from um, Highbury and another couple from Clara, and that was about it. But um, yeah, that's the job where one of the helicopter pilots got horned pretty bad. Um, Hang on, talk us through this. Talk us through this. How did this happen? Um, so, one of the pilots who used to come up and give us a bit of a hand when he could was Sam Kennedy, who works in with Lee Taylor. And um, 
Lee would send Sam when, when he couldn't get there or, or he couldn't send one of his own machines. So he'd send Sam up and Sam's pretty handy. He's pretty slippery with a ball and um, he's not afraid to land his machine and, and um, obviously warm it down and shut it down and all that um, and then go and catch the ball. But yeah. this this one time, one afternoon, he'd just run a, he'd run a big mob into us, probably 60 or 70 head and, and we were ringing them around and um, we had a bit on. We had probably 10 or 15 bulls on tied up all around the coaches and and it was pretty hectic they'd come from a bit of a way so they were, they were pretty hot cattle and um and sam said oh look look i've got two bulls out here um can someone come and grab them they won't cross the creek for us and um i said oh no nah, we're not i can't get there mate like i can send a young fella to just keep an eye on them for you if you need to keep going but we're all busy, yeah, we're all, I think one of the quad bikes had got a horn on the tyre and, and we were sort of getting a bit shorthanded, the bulls coming out of here. And, um, so I said, no, nah, I can't send anyone with you, Sam. And he said, oh, all right, no worries. He was hovering not far away and he said, oh, I'm just going to land here for a sec. And I knew what he was doing because, you know, every day he'd tie a bull or two up and then that afternoon he'd come and say, oh, look, I've got one up here or I've got one over there or, you know, so forth. So, I knew he was going to land and, and tie one up. And the day before, he'd got an absolute stonker of a bull on his own. And anyway, Sam landed. And um, I, I had a young fellow that was just keeping an eye on those two bulls. And he landed and, and gave that young fellow his shotgun. He said, don't worry about shooting me, but if that bull comes for the helicopter drilling, I've got a solid in here ready to go. And that young fellow said, yep, no worries. And he ran out in the flat with him and this bull was fresh and he just took Sam on and, and they went to a big ant mound in the middle of a flat and um, the bull just charged straight through the ant mound and, um, yeah, just knocked it over and then Sam, oh, he's going to come all the way. So he was after him and, um, and he, he got him down on the ground and, and ripped his thigh out with his horn and, um, yeah, camped on him for a bit and the young fella sort of, yeah, it was a bit far away to let a shot off and... You know, it was all a bit hectic. And anyway, the bull bull ran off, and um, Sam got back up and um, went back to the chopper and took off. And um, he he came and found me. He said, "Oh, where are you?" And I said, oh, "I'm back here at the coaches." And he said, "Right, I'm going to come see you." And he, he didn't sound too good. And I thought, "Well, something's up here." Um, he might have just been a bit annoyed that the bull might have been a bit big for him or hot or whatever, and too good for him, or whatever. I doubted it, but anyway. He came and landed, and um, when he hopped out of the machine, things had all settled down, so there was a couple of us there. And he landed the machine, and when he hopped out, I could see his jeans were ripped. And um, anyway, he took his headset off, and he's walking over, and like, nothing, like yeah, he didn't have a limp or anything. He's just poking over to us. And, and then he spun around, and he goes, oh, how bad is it? And um, I could see his femoral artery was just pumping. Um, it hadn't broken, luckily but it was there. It was all exposed, and there was probably the size of a football. Um, his whole thigh was hanging down on his calf, and um, I said, oh, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. We'll we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, so we, we lifted his thigh back up and put it back on where it belonged, and we just we put a snake bandage around it, and then I said, oh, have you got a set of jewels because I'll, I'll come with you in case you pass out. And... Um, there wasn't a lot of blood, which was quite surprising. Mm. Um, but horn, horn holes are pretty bad. They're renowned for getting infected because the bulls sharpen their horns on ant mounds and, and um, 
paperbark trees and that, mm. and, and it's all they're always dirty and um and you know ripping lily roots up in the mud and all that sort of stuff. So they when they do anti year they're never never clean. And um, I said, oh, have you got a set of jewels? And he said, no, nah, I don't. I'm I'm just going to fly to Clara. And um, I said, right, I will. I had a, had my sat phone. Luckily, I don't know why I didn't used to always take it out, but I had my sat phone and the catcher with me and I rang Colada and I said, Sam's just taking off. Can you ring the flying doctor? Get him to come to Colada straight away. This is what's happened. Um, I think he was 18 minutes or 19 minutes from Colada, say, Colada Homestead. And I, I knew that line that he'd be on. I knew that direction. And... Um, he headed off. I said, "Can you ring me back? This is my this is my sat phone number. I'm going to ring you in 20 minutes. Or can you ring me back um, if he hasn't landed? And if he hasn't, well, I've got to, you know, we're going to head off and look for him. And um, anyway, 20 minutes later, they called back and said, "Yep, he's just landed. All good." So I was, <laughs> yeah, thankful for that. But yeah, he's a terrible, tough bloke, Sam, to um to go through that and still be able to fly. That would have been a very long 20 minutes, I, I think, on the ground. Yeah, it was. We, we were all there was just dead silence. It was it was interesting. All the cattle went quiet. Everything just yeah. It was a it was a bit of an eerie situation. But um, yeah, anyway, he got flown out to Cairns and he was all good. But the next day, we we were catching. Um, we had another machine come up to give us a hand, and we were catching. And he he'd said that the bull was a big Brahmin bull, big yellow Brahmin bull with a white sort of blaze. We were all really keen to catch this bull, and um, we, ne- we never got it, but we got one like it, a, a big yellow bull, and we got the helicopter pilot teed it up with him that we'd, um, we'd step off for him and pull him over, and then the pilot would film it, and he'd land, and um, we'd, we'd actually cut the nut off of Mickey that morning, mm-hmm. and um, a fresh testicle, and we were cutting it around in the esky, and um, when the pilot, we... we stepped off and threw this bull and the pilot filmed it and he came and landed and he ran over and he goes, is that Sam's bull? And we said, yeah, and he's got this thing on his horn. What's this? And it, he, he brought his <laughs> camera over and showed him this big big testicle hanging off the tip of his horn and said, oh, shit, it must be Sam's. Well, here, take this with you, mate, and post it back to him in Cairns. <laughs> but, uh, I, don't think he ever, I don't think he ever got it. But, um, anyway. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So, look, you know, you, you said at the start, you averaged 10 kilometres a day and it took you four kilometres a day. It was 150 kilometres. Now, you know, yeah. working with cattle is not something that you can sort of say, oh, you know, we're only doing four kilometres today. Come on, let's move it, move it, move it. You've got to work with the cattle and, and some days are diamonds and some days are dust. Yeah, that's right, Caitlin. There's, um, like when I say we averaged that, there was there were some days when we probably did get 10K in when – um. You know, we might have been crossing a bit of dry country and or even just it had been burnt a bit earlier and the, the, the feed had gone off or whatever and there weren't, weren't as many cattle in the area. Or even there was some pretty big patches of wattle there where just some big stretches where we thought, oh, well, there's no point pulling up here. We'll, we'll just keep going and keep charging through until we get to a, get to a good open flat. And um, sort of we had that helicopter for sort of six to seven hours a day with us. So I sort of I didn't want to waste machine hours, but... I needed him. I didn't probably need him there all the time, but I did keep him there for yarding up, just for the fact that at, at the start it wasn't too bad when we only had a couple hundred head. But when we when we sort of got up to you know six, eight hundred to a thousand head, there's a bit of money there for me. So it was just a bit of insurance having that machine there to yard up, and 
about a week out from, from when we got to the Clara Musgrove Road where we could truck out, we started thinning those panels up and um, it made for a slower day. But what happened was, so every morning we'd just, we'd crack the panels. We wouldn't have a Hessian wing or anything. We'd just open the panels up where we were out in the flat and we'd just block the cattle up as they came out. And that, they, were, they were all pretty good. Occasionally the odd bull bucked out, but normally they were, they were really good to come out if they'd been fed and watered the day before pretty well. So they'd, they'd come out hot if you hadn't quite done your job on them. But for the last week, we started thinning those panels up until we'd gotten to the point where I could make a little race and we'd just dribble those cattle out. And, and you know, letting a 1,000 head out through a race it wasn't a quick process, but it, it allowed me to get a count on them. But it also... Um, I had a pretty good count already of what had come in and what had come out, but I also it meant that when we went to truck out, these cattle already knew how to go through a race. Every day we'd just bring those panels in a bit closer and a bit closer every morning to let them out, and then we got to a point where we'd just make a little three-panel race either side and, and we'd let them out through that. And, um, yeah, it would take a good hour and a half to let them out because a few wouldn't want to go and that sort of thing, but we just, yeah, let them go at their own pace and, after a few days of that, they, when we did eventually make that big yard to, to process them and truck out of, they, they all just flew up the race. They didn't fly, actually. They all walked through just beautiful. Yeah. So obviously they're being handled along the way, which results a better outcome for you because there's less injury at the end of it. You know, they're, they're not as damaged, you know, once they arrive to the final destination, whether it be the meatworks or what, whatever it be. Feeding them, talk us through that. Like, obviously, you said that it was burnt out, so you would have had to have brought food in. No, I didn't take any food. I um, I got some hay at the start, just for those first couple of days when I couldn't let them out, just until I till we had a good block on them, and then I got hay at the end for when we went to truck out. But they actually wouldn't eat it. It was irrigated roadgrass hay from the tablelands, and they um. They trampled more of it than they ate. They wouldn't touch it. It was too foreign to them. Well, that was that was where I was going with that. I couldn't, yeah, I thought, you know, it was something they had probably never seen or eaten before. So how did, like, how did you manage to get them to eat it? But clearly they didn't. Yeah, they they struggled to eat it. They, the wieners weren't too bad, but the bulls, the bulls bailed up. They trampled theirs. So we, we just tailed them out. Yeah, we just cracked the, cracked the panels and let them out and... Had to go and find some feed, um, but it wasn't high quality grass on foreigners where we were mustering. But it was enough to fill them up. Yeah, yeah, definitely enough to let them settle anyway and camp. But like the hay and water stuff is is pretty interesting. Like a round bale of hay, you think about like a nine or ten year old bull up in Cape York that's just been roaming seven hundred thousand acres and having a blast and get a punch up, but he, he's got plenty of females to keep him company and all that and um and a few kids running around and living the dream. Yeah, that's it. And then and then a helicopter turns up and then all of a sudden he's with all these blokes that he doesn't like and he's ha- he has got to fight for the next couple of weeks. He's got to fight his way. Fight have, have a couple of fights every night and um, you know, it's he's stuck in this mob and we really, really looked after these cattle. That's psychologically, they were, they were fantastic. They were some of the best cattle by the end of it. But um, they wouldn't eat that hay 
just a round bale of hay standing up in the yard. We had to roll it like this is our, you think about, oh, bulls are really tough and that sort of thing. And we found that a round bale of hay standing up in the yard was so foreign to them that they were more likely to go and fight that bale of hay than they were to eat it. So we had to actually roll it out in the ground. The first few days we had to roll it out in the ground and we tried putting molasses on it. That made it worse. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a shuttle full of molasses to try and, you know, entice and spice it up a bit more. But what they were actually eating out in the paddock was, was probably equivalent to cardboard. Most of it had gone lignified, whatever, hadn't burnt and grown back as pick. So they wouldn't go from cardboard to, to ice cream. So, yeah, it was just a, just a lot of that nursing stuff where um, – the lick tubs was was an, was an interesting story. I, I don't know if you've got time for that, but I had these this set of lick tubs that I'd had lick in um, the year before, um, and I'd had some liquid supplement in them in different areas, and we were pumping out of the local water hole, which was there's nothing wrong with the water there, but I was pumping it into these tubs, and I already knew about getting them to drink off the ground, so we'd we'd gone in there with the loader and we'd dug a hole. And we'd, we were pumping up into the into that hole, and um, and into these lick tubs. But after a few days, they'd they'd drink off the ground. They'd smell it. They'd lick it, drink it, get a bit of a taste for it, and then they'd go under the tubs. And you wouldn't have to keep filling that water hole. The other reason is that they just trample it, and the, the water goes tainted rotten anyway. So, but they would not go to these lick tubs. I sat on it for a couple of nights, and I thought. There's just something not right. There's, I, I knew how many balls were there. I knew how hot it was. They should have been drinking 40, 50 litres a day. When we were letting them out, they were just going mad for water. No, they're not. And I saw that they weren't getting into it, that the tubs should have been getting quite low. And um, it was because of that mineral, that supplement had been in there the season before and, and even earlier that year. So we washed them out. We scrubbed it with hay. We threw dirt in it and we mucked around and we we just did everything we possibly could but no matter what we did they was so i had to go and buy all new lick tubs and we did the same thing with them even though they were new they had that new smell to them but we um we scrubbed them out with soil and grass and roots and just got that bit of a natural bit more natural you know yeah about it and um yeah and they they got onto the onto the new ones but the the old ones that were still in the yard with them they were full the whole time. They hardly even touched them. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. So as far as jobs go, the owners, you know, at Cape York that you just spoke about, you said it was the most valuable job that you did in terms of knowledge and experience that you gained from it. Was it a smooth job in terms of, you know, accidents and, you know, mishaps and everything like that? Yeah, it was it was pretty good. There's um, apart from Sam getting horned out of the helicopter, yeah, there was no other ma- real real major like flying doctor sort of injuries. There's always the odd bloke coming off a bike or something like that. But um, so how many how many men did this with you? Like how many workers? You you said that the the traditional owners sent you know some kids out as as a part of it. Were they with you at the end? Yeah. So. Part of the deal was um, that that I'd take half a dozen local boys with me. Um, at the start, about about ten of them turned up, and then a few hot days and a few hot panels out in the flat. That um, just yeah, by accident got left out in the flat and got really really hot. 
that sorted a few out, and then we got back to a a nucleus crew of of about we probably averaged. I had about four fellas with me. So there's um, there's probably about six or eight of us there the whole time, and then there was um, but like look. There's, there's always going to be a funeral there at some stage. That was the exact time when, I don't know if you'd remember, but it was when a car in Kaunyama actually charged a funeral and went through the building and killed another local and um, injured a heap others while they were in mourning and drove over the, the coffin. And it was pretty bad, um, a bit of alcohol and probably drugs and that at the time. So that went on. So the local fellas cleared out then and then a few came back and yeah there was just a bit of back and forth you know which is totally understandable with that sort of stuff but yeah i'd probably say we averaged about seven seven ringers yeah yeah so look you're obviously camped on site you, everything was on site you know you trucked that that last load of cattle out then what what was next well part of the deal so i paid i won't tell you the exact figures but I paid for the whole muster, everything, the helicopters, the fuel, the trucks, the wages. I covered all the costs, all the overheads, and then I, I got a percentage of the cattle for free. Not free, but, you know, I didn't pay for them yeah. directly, and then I paid for the for the other percentage, so at, at a discount rate. So financially, it was quite a good job. It also eradicated the cattle for them, which they were going to cull. It gave some of the locals some jobs, so probably 10 or 12 different boys came through, which were actual traditional owner fellas for that area, which was great. And then the part of the deal was is that I had to build a paddock. at There was a bit of a homestead there at, at Ira's, and, and I had to, there was a fence around the old airstrip, and I had to complete that fence, finish it off. There's a couple of K, brand new wire material, whatever that made them a holding paddock. And um, and I had to put 40 or 50 cows in there as a, a killer herd and, and a bull. So the traditional owner, can't say his name, he's not, no longer with us, but um, that old fella, he was to come down and draft the cat. When we did the final truck out, um, I think 18 decks turned up, we were doing the truck out and he was to pick... 40 cows and a herd bull out of 1,200. So anyway, he got drunk, didn't turn up. So I drafted off a few heifers and I think 20 heifers and 20 cows and we'd completed that paddock that week and graded right around it for him and and cleared it and that. And there was a good water hole there and it was permanent and, yeah, everything was all good and we were just going to truck these cows up to the homestead, which is about 30, 40 k away. And um, just put them in there as his killers and, and a herd bull. Well, um, because he didn't show, he, he didn't get the chance to draft. Um, he'd sort of picked a bit of a Brahmin bull a bit earlier at one stage. And anyway, he, he was too good a type to leave on the place. So I trucked him. And then I had another bull. <laughs> Actually went lame for him in the yard. Would you have it? So we had to let him out. And... Um, we're trucking these cows up, and when we trucked them up, we took the bikes and the, and the catcher, and we jumped them off the truck, and we just blocked them up and put them on that water hole and walked them around the fence and settled them in the paddock for him. And um, he wasn't around, but there was a, 
the boys called up there in the truck and I was following along in the catcher and they called up and said, hey, look, there's a, there's a bull up here on the side of the road. Rip up here and grab him. We'll put him on for a herd bull. So I said, oh, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> He'll do. So we ripped on up ahead and one of the boys plucked him out on the quad bike and ran him out on the road and we, we armed him and then the boys pulled up in the truck and we put him straight onto the truck and tipped him and gave him an earmark and ran him straight onto the truck and when we went up to unload him, he um he bucked straight out and jumped over the fence and we had to cut the new fence and go and knock him over and then put a strap on him on the other side of a bloody creek and then we drove right around the creek and armed him and brought him back across and did the fence up and then took him over the water hole and let him go with the cows and he bucked out again and put him on another strap and oh anyway eventually got him settled and he was the herd bull. <laughs> Oh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, Locke, that was um, that was really interesting, and and I do thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure there are many more where they come from, and I look forward to hearing some more. But thank you for joining us today to share that journey. No worries at all, Caitlin. Thanks for having us. Cheers. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design, find them on Facebook and Instagram.